Do we have a treat for you? A significant announcement coming up in just a little bit as we bring you to In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Darren Millard along with Kevin Woodley, our feature interview this week, former National Hockey Leaguer Mike Condon. And he, if you remember the first time that he came by uh, the In Goal Radio podcast, uh, he just shares everything. Like we do a deep dive and uh, he does not disappoint. He follows that up with all kinds of news uh, regarding his career, his comeback attempt and uh, what he's doing right now. But uh, Woody, uh, let's start with the, with the significant news uh, and who you touch base with. Yeah. Exciting guest announcement. I can't say whether it's for this next episode or two episodes from now, but uh, got a nice note from Henrik Lundqvist about joining the show. Uh, obviously a guest that somebody that we've, He's been really good to us over the years. Every time he came through town, so generous with his time, always up for talking goaltending. Uh, and now that he's retired, somebody we've been kind of chasing and wanted to get on the show and heading into his big retirement number ceremony uh, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, he sent us a note and we're just going to firm up a time here in the next little bit. But looks like we will have Henrik Lundqvist as a feature guest on the In Goal Radio podcast, which is kind of a big deal. I'm kind of excited. Just a little bit. What angle do you think you're going to take with him? It's a good question. I hadn't thought about that because we've touched on so many things over the years. I, you know, I want to just goalie geek out a little bit. Um, as There's yeah. been a lot written and there's been a lot. Uh, he's sort of told the story of how he got to here in terms of, you know, the, the, the heart condition and the surgery that led to him retiring early. I'm not sure we'll spend a lot of time there. I want to talk more about playing career. I want to talk about his adjustment coming to North America. I want to talk about equipment. Uh, and some of the things that, frankly, he revolutionized. Um, an innovator in the equipment industry. Um, things that will forever be tied to him in terms of developments in equipment. I want to talk about technique. I want to talk about Benoit Lair. Uh, I want to talk about just goalie geek stuff. And Henrik's always been a guy who has been good about engaging in those conversations. Because I think, as stylish as he is, um, and all those, you know... 50 most beautiful people lists he made on international magazine covers. Um, he's still at heart, like many of us, a goalie geek. So hopefully we'll get to geek out a little bit with Henrik Lundqvist. As you can tell, I'm just a little bit excited about it. Because every time we did in person uh, here in Vancouver when the Rangers were coming through town, um, he engaged on that level, whether it was showing us why he had that custom sort of squared off grip on his stick or you know, some of the different things, why he wore gloves under his gloves, um, you know, the, the unique as he was in the early stages. I'll remember when when the Odin pad was coming out and he was wearing it before anybody really knew it was coming out, um, having conversations about that sort of hush hush in secret about these new developments in goaltending gear that we've now seen um, sort of you know, in a lot of ways revolutionize that side of the industry with Bauer. So just excited to, to not just revisit some of it, but hopefully move some of it forward a little bit with some behind-the-scenes stories. What did he wear before Bauer? There's a story there in itself and one we've talked about on social yeah. media. He was a TPS guy. And so right. uh, this is a story I don't know we'll get to get into because I'm not even sure he's aware of it. But the company that bought TPS and Sherwood had a choice to make. Do we? They were only going to carry forward one line. And Henrik Lundqvist was the poster child of the TPS line. And Martin Brodeur was the post to the child of the Sherwood line. And they actually, huh. part of that group of, of that, um, I guess it was more like an investment company that bought it, 
engaged us at one point about which decision to make and unfortunately didn't listen. Um, we saw Henrik as sort of the future of goaltending. And, and as much as Marty was still huge at the time, the way he played wasn't necessarily the way the game was trending. And that wasn't a criticism of him. It's just trying to look forward as an equipment company. They chose Brodeur, went with the Sherwood line. TPS died. Lundqvist went over to Bauer and the rest is history. But it kind of makes you wonder, do we still have a TPS in the hockey industry uh, if they'd gone the other way? Was Hank one of the first and maybe Curtis Joseph would be in this category of uh, goaltenders who didn't close their their gloves when they when they caught the puck. Yeah, you know it's funny. I was watching over some old footage and he used to. So I, that's the other part. I know at one point yeah. he had a practice glove that was so stiff, and this is how it developed that sort of pancake flat big presentation glove where you'd almost have to catch it in the pocket and then turn it up like a like a server holding a platter to sort of yeah. keep it in the pocket because it really didn't close for the longest time. Um, that was trying a practice glove very stiff and just loving how big and open it presented. And then over the years, he kind of made adjustments to it. So it did close it closed when he first came over. The old TPS glove closed. Uh, the Bauer glove started to close towards the end. But you're right, for a long time there, it didn't really, really close. And so there, you know, again, there's another one of those stories that, you know, I've yeah. heard it from the equipment manufacturer side. I think I've talked about it at least once or twice a little bit with Henrik when he came through town, but we've never really gotten to dig into. So there's all there's a bunch of them. And I think um, as much as we want to talk about retirement and what what he's doing next and and what this night, the emotions of this night coming up will be, I think we want to get into some of those things, unlock some of those mysteries um, that came with such an incredible career. You play true or false with Henrik Lundqvist. Get Hutch to put in some theme music, full game mode. Game show mode. Be be awesome. Uh, I've given you a couple. Uh, send us some news, uh, uh, some tid- tidbits uh, on your end of it. Uh, you you know that Henrik Lundqvist uh, has reached out and uh, we'll, we'll chat about uh, uh, his uh, number going to the rafters at MSG uh, in a couple of uh, weeks. And uh, maybe you can give us a, a little question or two uh, to talk to him uh, about. But uh, I always think Henrik Lundqvist, and this this may sound Strange, but Henrik Lundqvist and the Hockey Shop, uh, Source for Sports Surrey, HockeyShop.com, kind of, they're, they're one and the same to me. I can't think about uh, the Hockey Shop without thinking Lundqvist, Lundqvist without thinking about the Hockey Shop, because every time those those Lundqvist sticks would come in, I get all excited. And it, it just, it, there's a connection there that's embedded in my mind. Well, also remember when we had the Hockey Shop used to have the, well, I mean, obviously, and hopefully will once we get sort of COVID, through COVID times here and the pandemic, um, you know, but the, the big festival that we used to go to, uh, nice. I remember Bauer bringing one of Lundquist stick and how, how big an attraction that was for people to sort of see how unique that grip was. And of course we've got an article since where Henrik sort of explained uh, the mechanics of how he held that stick and why he liked it and the way he was blocker presented and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I hear you. I hear you on that one. Um, right now it's a different stick that is our focus point for the hockey shop and the hockeyshop.com. We told you about it last week. I, the inventory has come in, folks. And as much as I teased a whole bunch of different curves and different paddle lengths, predominantly, we're dealing with the Jonathan Quick curve. That's what Cam's got most of. But in all kinds of different models, uh, Warrior, V1, there's like a Senior, Senior Plus, Pro, Pro Plus. Cam's got them all. Literally over 400 Warrior V1 sticks in stock, all 30% off a special deal that Cam was able to get at the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com and savings that he will be passing along to you. We're going to put it 
in the show notes and on the website, angolmag.com, we're going to show the video we did reviewing the Warrior V1 last year, just to sort of let people get familiar with the different models. So you can check Great that idea. out, make sure you're getting the one you want. But whichever one you choose, you will find it on sale. Huge discounts, 30% off the hockey shop or the hockeyshop.com. We've got some exciting gear segments. I know we haven't had a live gear segment here in the show in a little while. We've been chipping away with Cam behind the scenes on some bigger picture projects, looking at things like glove brakes, how to fit a stick, how to fit pads. You know, the, the glove brakes, CCM 600, 590, 580, the common vernacular. Uh, we went over that with Cam, and then we went through every model from other manufacturers that fits each one. So if you ever like, yeah, I'm a 590 guy, but I, I'm, I'm now moving over to a Vaughn glove. Well, here's the models that fit and feel the same way. So we've got videos like that coming up in the next couple of weeks. We've been kind of using this time to highlight the sales and behind the scenes, building out these videos in a little more detail. Uh, and we'll be excited to start unveiling those soon. But in the meantime, make sure you check up thehockeyshop.com for massive savings on the Warrior V1 stick line. Like I said, Cam's got over 400. I saw the back room. It's just an endless sea. Remember, remember we showed you just how many CCM yeah. um, Pro Return sticks were back there? And there's still a bunch of those too on sale. But now it is like twice that amount. All Warrior V1, one of the more popular lines in the National Hockey League. There's a reason for that. And you can get it on sale now, 30% off thehockeyshop.com. And if you have any questions, just give Cam a call and he'll walk you through it. He would uh, love to be able to chat with you and uh, impart his expertise on what you're looking for, what price point you're looking for, uh, what pattern uh, you're looking for. And, uh, and that is the, the real advantage. Uh, inventory and expertise of the Hockey Shop, uh, source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. Now, I want to get into some news uh, that has uh, happened in the last uh, little bit before we get into Mike Condon. And uh, let's start with Marc-Andre Fleury and his victorious return to Vegas wins 2-1. Uh, I happened to be in the building, lucky enough uh, on, on that regard. And it was it, there was so much representation for Marc-Andre Fleury, the face of the franchise. Uh, he wins. He's He gets the tribute. Uh, it was all wonderful. But there was one moment, and it was in the pregame warm-up, where Robin Leonard, his former partner, is stretching on the red line and Flower comes sliding over and they have a big hug and they high five. And then they spend maybe two minutes chatting and, and hooking up. It just it was so neat to see uh, a former tandem get together like that and uh, and put aside the, any type of uh, animosity. Like in the 80s, there was animosity between partners. Uh, that that was cool last night to see a couple of guys get together and, and catch up uh, and knowing that uh, that they were great teammates. Yeah, and so probably I, I'm guessing for for you, not a surprise, but probably for a lot of people who always wondered about that relationship and you know the challenges that may have come with having two such great goaltenders in Vegas. Um, we always heard how they were always supportive of each other, and that was probably just a nice indication to to the rest of the world just how how good things were between the two, as much as both probably would have wanted to play more at various times over the past couple of years. Two of the great goalies in the league and two of the great people in the league. Now you get into uh, the game and after the tribute, I don't know how he played. I, I, I don't. It was it was a wonderful moment uh, inside the rink and uh, the uh, a connection between the fans and Marc-Andre that uh, that belies uh, so many legends and, and their cities uh, goes above and beyond that. 
he must have had uh, emotion. Like, it was lucky he had a mask on. Let's just say that. Well, I saw some stuff. I mean, I did see some stuff on social. I wasn't able to watch the whole thing in person. I had a little family movie night. Comes with having two daughters. Um, so, and my game, of course, was canceled. Thanks to the Vancouver Canucks not playing at home these days. But I wasn't able to tune in. But I saw some stuff on social that people said that it looked like there were tears underneath that mask from some of the video that we saw afterwards during that tribute. And you know, again, like I don't know how these guys compartmentalize that to go from and, and acknowledging and embracing the emotion of a moment like that. Like he didn't seem to hide from it. He acknowledged the fans and still be able to separate yourself from it when the puck drops and go back to playing. I mean, you know, I'm a mental midget. I wouldn't be able to do any of that. I guess that's why he's got 502 wins and counting in the National Hockey League. Eh? It didn't end up being uh, like your vintage goalie duel. Both goalies were great, but uh, it was uh, definitely not a track meet uh, by any means, but uh, a cool moment. And I know Vegas is happy that they can uh, kind of turn the page and move on. And I'm sure Mark Andre is uh, pleased that he doesn't have uh, that uh, hanging over for him and uh, and they can get back on the, uh, the winning track. Uh, now, a, a story of a different kind is the challenges between a coach and a goaltender. And for the most part, it goes pretty good and it's uh, kept behind the scenes. But in Edmonton, Dave Tippett uh, had some some comments about Mikko Koskinen. Koskinen didn't like it and came back uh, with his own interpretation of it. Uh, how how did you read what went down between the coach and the goalie? Well, okay, so two things. One, Marc-Andre Fleury. The, Vegas may be happy that they don't have Marc-Andre Fleury's return hanging over them anymore and it's done and out of the way, but I'm not sure. Like, There's going to be a lot of Marc-Andre Fleury discussion now with Chicago mm. pretty much out of the playoffs. like, and, and Edmonton is a place where his name is already being bandied about. So I'm not sure that he gets to just sail off into the sunset <laughs> of the rest of his season. There's going to be a lot of speculation around Flower from now till the end of it. Um, and Edmonton and then Colorado are the two primary spots that we're already hearing his name. As far as what happened with Tippett and Koskinen, like I think in Tippett's case, it's the emotions of the post game. And I think his strongest comments, if you really go watch the entire thing, his strongest comments were about the first goal. Like, I don't think he killed Miko for his entire performance. No. But he was very upset and emotional about the first goal. And first goals have been a problem for this team. And it was based off a turnover behind the net. And if you go and, you know, he called it a mistake. And I think if you really go look at the play, the mistake was going out to play the puck. It died in the trapezoid and never got to him. You know, I guess the read is a mistake because the puck, you know, he went out and got a puck that he couldn't play. Um, but I would think that especially as much as they encourage Mike Smith to go out and play pucks, that for the most part, that's something they want their goaltenders doing. And whether it was a bounce or a judgment, the rim just never made its way to him. And so bit of a tough break there, but he gets stranded in no man's land and he gives up that goal. And I think that's the one that Dave Tibbet was most emotional and critical about. I don't know that he ever, you know, I. Listening back to the whole presser, because uh, they're all online now, I don't know that he killed them beyond that. Like I don't know that he attacked them beyond that. So that's that's sort of how I looked at that. Now the the interesting part was Miko reacting and saying that, hey, listen, like he he owned needing to be better. I think he'd given up, you know, an average of four a game over his previous six starts, but he also pointed out they'd only scored one goal for him in six of his past seven. And so people interpreted that as going back at the coach. But again, the context of what you see on social media, which is just that quote about them not scoring, I 
I get, I didn't say I sought it out, but I saw on my Twitter feed uh, a Finnish person who took the entire, because the interview Koskinen did was with a Finnish media outlet. I actually know Tommy, the reporter, quite well. He used to be based in Vancouver, and he is an absolute beauty. But somebody took Koskinen's quotes out of the Finnish publication and translated them in their entirety, and they were nowhere near as pointed as the snippet made it out to be. They, he owned his performance. He talked about wanting to be better. And even the context of the criticism of Tippett, even though he said nobody wants to be thrown under the bus, there was still a lot more sort of caveats granted before he made that statement. It wasn't as direct and pointed as pulling that one snippet or those two snippets out and putting them on social media made it out to be. So that doesn't solve the problem. They, there's a problem. I'm not sure it's between as, as much between the goalie and the coach as a lot of people would like it to make. The problem is the team's not winning and the goaltending hasn't been great. The team hasn't been great. They're scoring well below their expected goals. They're still a mediocre at best defensive team that requires, frankly, top 10 goaltending on most nights to have a chance. And Miko hasn't delivered it, especially of late. Um, the number I pointed to when I looked at ClearSight Analytics, the one that really hurts him and his performances here is the low percentage goals, the, the low quality shots that end up in the back of the net. And there's been 16 so far this season, seven in, the, in, in this stretch we're talking about directly. And that's the most in the NHL. And that's, that's a problem. Um, they tend to jump out, right? We we know yeah. what a bad goal. It's more than just narratives. We know what a bad goal does to a bench, and there's been too many of them from him this season. Now, solutions. To me, the easiest one is obvious. A lot of people want to call out Stuart Skinner, and I get that. We had him on the podcast last week. He's been better in a small sample than Miko has this season overall. But the easiest solution is Mike Smith coming back and being healthy and getting back to Mike Smith. Um, I don't know that there are a lot of other options outside of Marc-Andre Fleury and the Ransom Hill command, assuming he would even go, given his family being settled in Chicago now. Um, there aren't a lot of other options for Edmonton that are necessarily upgrades into that top 10 level that you need based on the rest of your team. And Mike Smith last year played in that top 10 level for this team. So he, to me, him coming back and being healthy is 100% their best solution here. So I was thinking Jack Campbell in, in the example of Jack Campbell, where you take somebody that's not uh, playing a ton with that organization and you see something and you, you put him in. Like what, what's happened in that situation with Toronto? It's taking some time for that to, to occur, but he did step in when Toronto had a need and and produced results. Do you see Edmonton taking a chance on that if they can't get a superstar? Because I don't. I I, I don't see the, the reaction being beneficial. I don't see uh, it, it happening again uh, in, in, in those types of results. So I, I'm with you. I either see them getting a bona fide starter or and paying the ransom or sticking with what they have. You could certainly go fishing for, like, look at Charlie Lindgren. Look at, yeah. look at the season that he had with St. Louis. Now he's back in the minor leagues in the American Hockey League. And he, I mean, I think he still leads the NHL in save percentage during his run with St. Louis. But when Charlie Lindgren was in St. Louis, much like Jack Campbell in that last season with the Leafs, he came in into an environment that was pretty good for goaltenders right? Like Toronto, even more so than St. Louis, like a pretty good stout defensive environment. And he played well, don't get me wrong. 
But what you need if you're coming into Edmonton is somebody who can give you top 10 results behind a team that's in the bottom half of the league defensively. Like, it's a bigger ask in Edmonton. And I just, I'm sure there is somebody out there. We look at, look at what Zach Fucali's doing in Washington right, right now. We're going to get to his story. He's only got two starts, but like, there is somebody out there that's caught in between the AHL and the NHL that might be an upgrade for the Edmonton Oilers. Maybe it's Stuart Skinner who's in the AHL right now just because Mike Smith's healthy and has a 916 when he's with the Oilers. Maybe it's somebody else, but there's a lot of maybes in that equation. And I think the most certain answer, again, predicated on him staying healthy as he heads towards his 40th birthday, is you know that Mike Smith has given you that goal, and he did it just last season. And so a healthy Mike Smith is, again, to me, your easiest answer to this problem. But whether you can count on or get a healthy Mike Smith for the rest of the season remains, I guess that's just as big a maybe as some of the other questions we're asking. Tell me about what's happening with Zach Fucali. Well, I mean, a little bit of hard luck at the end last night, but I mean, a little bit of hard luck during the game. Pitches the shutout after all those years to finally make the NHL earlier this season. And we talked to him a little bit. He's been a guest of the podcast. You know, we're massive fans of his. And we saw when he signed in Washington, some things in his game that had changed that really seemed to fit the teaching there. And we saw an opportunity that this might be the chance he would get to finally show he, he can play at the highest level. And it's kind of panned out that way. But again, because of their depth chart, only in small samples. So he pitches a shutdown in his first start. Last night against the Minnesota Wild, I looked at the box score and I'm like, oh, he finally gave up a goal. He set a record before he did for the longest scoreless goaltending performance to begin an NHL career. As long as he waited to start his NHL career, he broke the record set by Matt Hackett for the longest shutout streak to begin that NHL career, which is impressive. He's in the record books yes. forever. Nobody can take him away and away from him. Then I checked because I was I was checking the box score, right? Like I told you, I couldn't watch hockey last night, but I was checking because I'm on Zach Fucali watch. I want to see him succeed. And I saw that it was two to one. I'm like, oh, he finally gave up a goal. I hadn't clued in until someone, Sean Kelly, actually, one of our listeners sent me a text. He's like, I can't believe it. He still hasn't given up a goal. I'm like, but he's losing two to one. So I looked, it was an own goal. He was on the bench for an extra attacker on a delayed penalty and Washington scored into their own net. So now I'm trying to figure out what happens if this ends 2-1. I'm looking it up. Clearly he can't get a shutout, but does the scoreless, like does his record shutout streak extend even if he can't get an individual shutout? Like I'm looking all this up and then he makes a Superman diving save late in the game to keep it 2-1. And I'm like, oh my God, this story keeps getting better. And then it became too good to be true with the extra attacker out. Minnesota ties it with 25 seconds left and wins in a shootout. None of which. It may take away some of the record chasing and some of those stories, even though we set a record. Um, but none of it uh, devalues in any way how well Zach Vukali has played in his first two NHL starts after waiting all those years to get the opportunity. So just really happy for a really good guy that... If you get to know him, if you go back and search it up, listen to look for the episode that we had him on the Ingle Radio podcast. If you listen to him and and listen to a full interview, you will also be a fan of Zach Fukali. He wouldn't have got the shutout either with the own goal. I don't. I don't think that right. He doesn't no. personally. But would his shutout streak have officially ended? That was the question. Like he doesn't get a shutout, but does his streak continue because he hasn't been in goal? He wasn't yes. in net for the goal. Yes, that's what I thought. I don't know that for sure, but if you don't give up the goal, like what's the difference between uh, him or 
the backup or the guy in the stands. Not nobody was in goal for the for the That's puck right. to so his the shutout net. streak extended till that twenty five seconds left yeah. goal. And yeah. folks, let me tell you, go find that late save, the diving one across. You can see him in a desperation situation. See how quickly he gets his head around, gives himself, even though it's a dive, even though it's desperation, he's he's got eyes on it early. Like he prioritizes that rotation and that good vision. And he dives across glove first. And you know he's got eyes on it because the guy shoots it back the other way. And mid-dive, he gets the blocker up and blockers it away. Like it is a hell of a save. And as much as it will be labeled diving desperation, there are elements to how he locates first that allow him to make what would have been an, a near impossible save to begin with, but he actually adjusted to make the save when the shot went somewhere else halfway. Like it, it's a hell of a save. Go look it up. He he acts, then he reads, then he reacts, and then he's aggressive, which is is awesome to have all that and not flopping around. Like it's no. there, there's awareness to to everything that went into the save. And let's not forget, he also had a relief appearance the game before. So he came in and stopped all seven shots in a, in a game that 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 Washington had already lost. But there was actually a sequence. Uh, I can't remember where I saw. I got to give credit. It was goalie yield actually. He posted a sequence uh, behind the net, out front, yeah. um, left pad save, and then into right into a post seal on on a backdoor chance like that. Just again, a glimpse into how well Zach Fukali is playing right now and where his game has risen to. And so nice to see him get that opportunity in the NHL. And listen, it's an opportunity that could end when everybody's off COVID protocol and everybody's healthy. And so as we start to look around, whether it's in the conversation regarding the Edmonton Oilers or or other people, other teams, like, you know, guys like Fukali and Lindgren have made the most of these small samples. Are other teams going to take note and give them an opportunity, a bigger opportunity this season, or will they have to wait till the offseason to get it? It's an audition every time you play. Uh, for for goalies like that, and everybody, but more so for goalies like Charlie and, and Zach. Uh, we have some uh, great stories coming up with Mike Condon. Uh, give us the just the backstory of from when we last talked to him, when a lot of people last knew of him in and around the National Hockey League to where he's going right now. It's our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Well, at first, let's start with Sensorina because there's some tie-ins to this interview. You'll hear Mike Condon talk about his prized pupil, Devin Levi, at Northeastern University, uh, using the Sense Arena as part of his warm-ups on a regular basis. And not surprised, actually, because Devin was actually introduced to Sense Arena when he was with the World Junior Team in Hockey Canada at the World Juniors last year. Uh, they sent a couple of sets to Jason LaBarba, because remember, there was so much quarantine time. Right. Barb's recognized that this was a tool that could help his goaltender. Sense Arena wanted to give them an opportunity to try it. And I'm not surprised. Devin Levi, much like Mike Condon, is one of those no stone unturned kids. He's going to, if there's something that he thinks can help him get better, he's going to try it. And for Devin, that includes Sense Arena. Interesting to note, the school that Mike Condon is now the goalie coach at, Northeastern University, where Devin plays, also just became an official Sense Arena client this week. I saw an announcement there. And uh, it looked like this is going to go beyond just Devin using it as a goalie and the rest of the team starting to buy in on the player side as well. So clearly they see some value there. And I would suggest that when you've got a goalie who has eight shutouts and a 958 save percentage in 20 starts this season and he sees value in it, it's probably not a bad thing, eh? So make sure you rattle off some numbers there. I, I want you to say it again and slowly for people to be able to to let that sink in. 
Devin Levi, who was with Canada at the World Junior Championships last year, Florida Panthers draft pick, now traded to Buffalo, this season with Northeastern University. Technically his first NCAA season because things were sort of canceled last year. 20 games, 15, 4, and 1. 9, 58 save percentage. <laughs> and tw- he's already got eight shutouts in 20 starts. <laughs> like mushroom clouds going off his end. Like those are, those are, those are kind of, those are like, I would say, I was going to say those are video game numbers, except in the video games, it's all about the scorers. Like those are like this, yeah. the, the goalie equivalent of video game. Those are insane. I talked to one of his defensemen over the holidays, Tyler Spot, and uh, he said he said it's it's just sick what what he's doing. It's ridiculous. It's it's amazing, and he's used the term video game. It's it's wild how great he is, and he uses Sensorina. So, folks, remember the contest is still ongoing. It runs through the end of February twenty, like end of February. So, from February twenty seventh, there are skill sessions uh, in the contest every week. They add new components. Make sure you get in there and register. The, the sort of final showdown starts March 1st to March 27th. You can still get in. We've got a special week of the contest sponsored by the LA Kings coming up the end of this month, January 24th to 30th, for all Sense Arena users to get in on this contest and, and compete with users around the world for great prizes, uh, including, I believe, at the end, the ultimate prize is to win a trip to the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs in 2022. So keep building towards that, folks. And in the meantime, we just keep uncovering examples of guys using it, including, as we talked about, Mike Condon talking about Devin Levi. Last time we talked with Mike was 2019 in the summer. He was in Kelowna trying to work his way back after uh, some you know, borderline, actually debilitating injury issues with the Ottawa Senators. Um, I'm going to let him catch us up, Darren, because he really walks us through the process of where he's been for the last couple of years and, and, and the tightrope of sort of trying to get healthy and battling that, um, while also battling the uncertainty of, of not knowing if he ever would be again. And so where that took him in terms of the last season and a bit playing wise, and ultimately led to a transition now to coaching, uh, a guy who I know based on past conversations, is going to be really good in this role. And, and based on those numbers we threw out for Devin Levi, already is. Here is Mike Condon, our feature interview brought to you by Sense Arena on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Brought to you by The Hockey Shop. Source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. Enjoy. Really happy to welcome back to the Ingle Radio podcast, Mike Condon. Mike, you kind of disappeared on us. Last time we talked to you was uh, August of 2019 in the summer up there in Kelowna. Um, you were working your way through and coming off of uh, a long laundry list of injuries trying to get your way back. Um, spent the year with the Tampa organization. You're coaching now. There is this, there's a gap there that I want to, f- I wanted to fill in, but mostly I want to get to the transition to coaching and how exciting that is, but help us just sort of fill in that gap and that process for you. Cause it's not, it wasn't a simple one, was it? It wasn't one step to the other to, to make that decision, to hang them up and, and make this transition. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was certainly, you know, a, a long road in regards to trying to figure out, um, you know, how to get better, uh, what was wrong, what needed to be fixed, what needed to be addressed. And, um, 
the problem was really I didn't really know what kind of issue I was fighting or, or, or where to start with it. I had some great people that was working with me that, that really wanted to help me. You know, Adam Francilia did a, a great job with, with trying to help and everything. But I think at that point, um, there was too many structural issues in my frame that um, really didn't, didn't really have a lot of longevity in the future. That's for sure. There, there was there's certainly a lot of miles and not a lot of tread left on the tire, so to speak. Um, so, you know, that at the end of that summer, after we talked, they went to camp and, um, it just, something was wrong. I didn't really know what it was. Um, and tried my hardest to figure out what it was, you know, um, all this, all the injections and the MRIs and, and all that stuff. And people telling you, well, it could be this, it could be that. And there's really a lot of like uh, chicken and the egg type thing. Like what's causing what is, you know, is your back causing your hip or is your hip causing your back and, and really going out and trying to figure out how to approach that was probably the hardest part because it's, it's a lot easier when you have like an injury and they say, Oh, you have an ACL. This is what you do. This is the protocol, blah, blah, blah. Executed time frame, you'll be back. But um, mine was a little bit more complex that really involved like many, many years of compensatory patterns. You know, the body's so amazing of when you want to do a certain movement and something's hurt, the body will find a way to get you there. It may not be the most efficient, but it's if you have an injured area, it's going to avoid that and you're going to use something else to compensate. So if you do that long enough, you really kind of can start to change your anatomy and, um, you know, a lot of people who don't even play goalie are walking around certain ways they don't even realize. So, I mean, I go to the chiropractor every morning from a, with a, an old teammate that I used to play with at Princeton. He lives down the road from me and his whole family's chiropractors. And I kind of just started approaching it that way through the spine and everything. And, you know, he dropped those lines on you <laughs> to see where you are stability wise. And I was like... <laughs> walking around like this and it's, and it's crazy because you don't even really realize it. you just get you just get so used to it so i was in there in uh, the tampa organization in syracuse you know working with their people every morning trying to get back and then it got to the point where i was out you know a calendar year and i said to myself you know you, you got to go out there you can't be hurt forever you got to really just try to gut through it and i really thought that i was kind of like you know one pop or crack away from from being what i normally am because that was always the recipe in the beginning it was always like one adjustment and then oh, okay now i feel normal but i never really got that and um played five or six games and it was just i didn't have access to my frame didn't want to be out there had no power no stability and my body was just really locked up because it didn't want to move so i did that um went down to the went down to the solar bears in orlando just just to try to keep doing that and then i took a an assignment in Charlotte and um the second period of that Charlotte game I was just like this is this is it was probably about March 1st I was like this is just not working like what are you what are you doing right now you're not helping yourself definitely not helping the team um there there are more important things than stopping a puck in terms of your health and you know being able, being able to walk and sleep through the night are two pretty important things in people's lives so um, I just had kind of blinders on. I wanted to fix this so badly and I, and, uh, I didn't really have any perspective of what was going on. So after that game in Charlotte, I, I told the, 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 the checkers in Tampa, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, I can't, I can't go anymore. Um, I got to figure this out. I got to take some time off and, um, I really appreciate the opportunities and, um, went home on like March 10th. And I think the season was canceled on March 15th or something like that. So. 
you go from there and you're trying to like, okay, how am I going to approach this rehab? And then boom, the pandemic hits and it's, so you can't really go anywhere. I can't see anybody and um, specialists or anything like that. So I kind of saw that as a silver lining, you know, Hey, maybe take some time off, get away from the game. You can't, you can't go to rehab, you know, you might as well just kind of do your own thing. And even throughout that whole summer, I still tried to skate and it wasn't getting better. Pain was getting worse. So that's kind of when I, I, I knew things weren't good. And my agent called me and said, uh, you know, you have some, some taxi squad opportunities if you're interested. And I was like sitting in my car and I was like, looking in the mirror, literally. And I was like, could you have a chance to stop Connor McDavid on a breakaway right now? And the answer to that was absolutely not. So I had a little chance when I was playing anyways. So it was just, <laughs> it's just like, you know, what do you, what do you, what are you doing? Like, if you can't go out there and have a chance to actually get better or be your best, then I think it's time to really, you know, take some perspective, be grateful for the time that you played. I mean, I had surgery in college in, in 2011. So I, I got eight years um, after that. And I know a lot of guys who have that surgery at, at a young age who never really even get a couple of years after that. So I, I, I'm not upset or anything. It was, I, I'm very grateful for all the time that I had, but sometimes you don't really possess the anatomy or the, or the, you know, the anatomy to, to play this position. Cause look at guys like Vasilevsky when I was in Tampa, like he would just be sitting there in the, in the gym in a, the full splits, you know, dorsiflexion with his feet full out, just sitting there on his phone, just breathing and relaxed. And I'm like, <laughs> I can barely touch my toes. I've been working on splits my whole life and I never been able to get it. So um, he's got, he's got the Slavic hips. I got the Scottish hips. So there's a, there's a big difference there. What, uh, I mean, I, I want to get into the lessons from that. Cause now that you're coaching, it sounds like you've applied some of the lessons in terms of, you know, not just not beyond just not pushing through it, but how you train. But, but at first I wanted to ask, cause when you talked about the uncertainty of not knowing and then going from that as a player in your career and then right into the pandemic, I think there's probably a lot of young goalies out there right now that are struggling mentally with the uncertainty of not knowing, especially in places where their leagues have been shut down. And like for a lot of us, I think, you know, just like the future in general, I, I cover the Canucks, the next game just got canceled. Like there's this uncertainty. I'm not asking you to play. Well, I am, I guess, play psychologist for me. Like what are there lessons from managing that, that you can apply to, you know, everyday life right now? It's, it's, it's unbelievably difficult. You know, I, I thought about the guys in like college, um, and in major junior who were about to enter their first pro year and like sign those ATOs and those PTOs at the end of their season and go and play in like in the coast or the A and like really make a name for yourself. Cause that's what I was able to do. And I think about all those guys who just didn't have that opportunity. And it's kind of like, you know, it's heartbreaking that they can't even go and, and pursue that. And I was speaking with other goalies in, in my local area, Boston, who were, you know, they don't know. They can't find teams. They find a team in Canada, then they can't get across the border. Um, you know, they're, they're stuck in Canada, or they can't. They can't get in. They're they're up. They're down. They're they're just trying to find a place to play. And it's um, even in the coast right now in pros. I think like how many non con, how many non like AHL or NHL contract goalies are on East Coast teams? Like five or six. And it didn't always used to be like that. You know, it was there was a lot of free agent guys who were playing at that level and it's kind of tough. There's certainly a backlog there. So in terms of psychology approaching that, um, I, I don't really, I don't really know. It's just, you know, where are you right now? What can you do right now? 
so much of goaltending is what can you control, right? So I think if you apply a lot of things we do in games, it's like, what, what can you control? What can you do right now? What, what is a good way to push you forward rather than having maybe ne- neg- negative mental thoughts that keep you where you are, or push you back. It's always just about trying to get like 1%. Like where, where can I get this 1%? Can I find a team? Can I go play? No. Okay. Can I go skate with my goalie coach? Can I, can I do these things that kind of sort of give me a little momentum to keep me in the fight? I think that's really the best way to go about it and um, keep networking, keep calling, you know, and, and never really give up the fight, you know, never give up on a save, never give up on, you know, your dreams either in terms of what you want to do. And that, that's, that's, I have a lot of empathy for guys out there right now. Okay. On the switching back to the physical side. And, and again, this, this transformation from Mike Condon, the goalie to Mike Condon, the coach working at Northeastern now, uh, one of your pupils is tearing it up and a guy we've had on the podcast before and are big fans of in Devin Levi. How does the, the advice change, especially from the physical aspect? When you were talking about, you know, your everything being tilted as you walk down the street, I, I, I immediately went back to a recent conversation we had on the podcast with Ryan Miller about how every summer he would have to sort of go and try and reset his body. Or now that he's retired, train to be a human instead of training to be a goalie. How, when you're still being a goalie, have you, have you found differences and help your younger guys you're working with walk that balance? Yeah, it's, I just... I learned a lot about anatomy when I had problems, not before I had problems. So I was definitely, you know, attacking it from a, a disadvantage point. So I just kind of try to give them concepts and let them figure it out. I mean, goaltending is an asymmetrical position, right? You have one hand that's closed holding a weight, and then you have another hand that's open. That's kind of flexing the other way. So when you're holding a weight, we all kind of have that tendency to do this. So like we get tight down here and then we like, we all kind of pull to our blocker side. And especially when you're talking about RVH on the blocker side and the ankle, like I talked to a lot of guys, I'm like, well, if you're like a normal full, is it full? What, what's a normal goalie full left or full right? We just call it, we, we call them normal. The other guys are full rights and we just, we just say normal. I don't want to disparage anybody, but normal, <laughs> um, normal goalies always have problems on their right ankle. And I think that a lot of that is going into the RVH on the blocker side. If you do the paddle, you're really torquing over your right angle, your right ankle more than you are on your left because you don't actually have to go over as much. So my first like injuries that I, that I had were with my feet and my ankles doing so many RVH, so many reps. Cause I just, I, I couldn't feel good unless I did like reps, 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 feel, feel, feel like muscle memory, muscle memory. And, and that is not that, that movement you really want to put yourself a pitch count on. So the way I kind of approach it now is I just, I, I just tell concepts like, Hey, like we spend so much time like this forward, crunch forward, you know, we have enough, we don't really do that in goalie skates. Like you get enough of that in practice. We spend the first 10, 15 minutes, first 10, 15 minutes doing the opposite. We want to get big and we want our track and we want to get open and really kind of open that up. And we do a lot of movements that you don't do on a, like on the ice, like one legged toe touches as we're skating forward, as we're skating backwards. We, we want to feel ourselves on the ice, weird edge work. Um, a lot of stuff that Adam Francilia really introduced me to. Um, stuff that gets you out of normal goalie position and just really helps you be an athlete in goalie gear. And I think, you know, you don't need to spend so much time doing T pushes and butterfly slides and butterfly pushes. You get those in your practice reps, like pre-practice should just be about activating, 
having your body feel comfortable where you, where you are on the ice. And that's just really about throwing different things at it. So you don't get really stuck in the, on the train tracks of goalie position. Cause if you're there the whole time, you know, you're going to get compensation patterns. You're going to get rigid. You're not going to be fluid. And it's really just about telling them that like everything's connected, you know, and you go to stuff with Lyle mass too, especially with our head and our neck. Like I always kind of played like this with my head forward and like pinching off this area, but, all your, he was the one who told me, you know, all your eye muscles are behind your head, you know, instead of going like this, we should really be kind of tucking our chin and pulling it back, relieving that all the tension in our eyes, getting almost away from the puck, getting more peripheral. And that was kind of really hard for me to conceptualize, but for some reason, my hands always went to the puck more when I tucked my chin. It's almost like you want to, like, I always wanted to stick my face in the puck, but he was like, no, you want to tuck your chin and kind of pull back a little bit. So you see more. There's no more tension in the back of your neck. It's more in your core and your, your pair of spinals running up and down your back. And it really just lets your central nervous system and your eyes relax so that you can, your eyes can actually track things. <laughs> so it's a little stuff like that. Like we want, to, we want to do the reverse of what we're doing in practice. We want to pay attention to our eyes, our head, our neck, how we're seeing things. And a lot of time with the feet too, warming up the feet and just knowing that like we feel the ice in our skates and everything through our feet and all the nerves. And I mean, the reflexology, right? Like, I bought a pair of shoes the other day that had like all the organs represented on your foot. <laughs> and it's like, you know, in Eastern cultures, they approach health through the feet. You know, they start with, you know, reflexology, all the acupuncture in the feet to cure um, ailments and organs in the body. So I think you got to get outside the box and how you approach your, your anatomy and, and how you want to train. And we've been doing that. And it's been, it's been a little eye opening for them. It's a little weird when you're doing, you know, it's like one legged toe touches and, and airplanes on your skates, but it's just about, you know, working on that stability in those areas and being an athlete and goalie gear. Okay. So having had conversations or at least, at least one or two in the past with Devin and having just enjoyed that answer there, I'm guessing the two of you, are probably having some pretty fun conversations back and forth about goaltending both inside and outside of the box. Because I know he's a guy that, you know, much like you in your career, like I always viewed you as a no stone unturned guy, right? If there was a chance to find an advantage or a way to get better, you know, from mixed martial arts training, I remember at one point when you were with the Canadians, you were looking for it. I'm guessing those are fascinating conversations. But at the same time, one of the lessons I know that you, you learned over the course of your career is Sometimes you can chase too much and chase too many different changes. So, and Devin's a guy who probably can do a lot of extra work. So how are you two finding that balance? What are those conversations like? This is a big open-ended question, but like, what's that relationship like? And how are you helping him find that balance that you worked at throughout your career? Or maybe you would change how you worked at it now. Like, I remember the first day I walked into the rink, I'm like, yeah, where's Dev at? And they're like, oh, he's out like outside in the pavement in his gear taking shots because we couldn't go on the ice yet so he was like in his full goalie gear no skates on having someone shoot at him like another day i'll walk in and he's got the oculus rift on and he's making saves with the with the vr on and you know he's talking to his sports site guy he's talking to people in the buffalo organization he's talking to me he's talking to his agent he's talking to all these people um not to mention the fact that he's a computer science major which at most schools, especially at Northeastern, is not an easy degree to get when, and you can't really fake your way through that, you know, because the code tells the truth and you cannot copy code. Um, 
So he's a, he's a very bright, very bright person. He's so curious. He thinks about the game differently than I do. Like he'll say things like, I want to be over, I want to be over my hips. I want to be over the puck. And that's something that I never really thought of. He's like, he's really about just like being over himself, being over, um, over his hips. And he thinks about it that way. But, you know, we had a conversation at the start of the year with, with all three of our goalies. And we're just like, this is how we're going to approach things. My job is not to put things, more things in your head. My job is to take things out of your head. Because I felt like, I don't want to sound like one of those guys back when I played, but, you know, back when I played, <laughs> it was, uh, I kept on putting myself, putting things on my list. And I was never really taking things off my list list of concerns or things I wanted to work on. And before you know it, that list gets pretty long and you, that can kind of have a negative mental connotation of the, like, I got to do all this stuff. These are all my deficiencies. Um, and, I, and I had a lot of great goalie coaches, but no one over time who could like take, like tell me to take things off that list. So I'm, I'm just trying to take things out of his head. I'm like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And like, say we have an issue in the blocker. We don't really say like, Oh, we have an issue in the blocker. We're just going to do a hundred blocker shots or like 50 or whatever, just nice and easy. And you're going to feel it. And you're just going to let your body talk to you and talk through it. We're not going to put a name to the problem. It's just like, I'm having trouble on my stick or my blocker. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to take, I'm going to get a hundred pucks. You're just going to stay there and not move really easy on the body. And we're just going to feel it out. Just feel it. And they're like, you feel better. Yeah, I feel better. Okay. Then we go from there. So we came up with a plan. It was just like, you know, Monday, to, like college is weird. It's Friday, Saturday, right? So it's just like, hey, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we can think. We can think about technique, what we want to do. We're going to go into practice with intention. Like, hey, I really want to be dropping late on shots. I really want to be um, working on having aggressive hands. I want to be set and square, different intentions. Usually you want to practice because it's hard to do more than one. Pick an intention, um, an intention for that skate executed for that day but come you know wednesday and thursday practices we're not thinking anymore we're playing we're, we're playing hockey we're playing street hockey this is an outdoor rink we're competing and we're not thinking about our technique anymore because come friday night you can't think about your technique and you can't turn that mental switch on and off so monday tuesday you know i'll talk to you like what do you think you want to do what do you want to work on where do you not feel comfortable come up with a few drills for that you know because we only get about 20 30 minutes before practice We'll, we'll attack those on Monday and Tuesday, really think, talk it out. How do we feel? What do we like about this technique? But come Wednesday and Thursday, it's like, I'm not saying anything about what you're doing with your hands. I'll say stuff maybe about like, hey, like need a little bit more jam today. You know, maybe, maybe need a little bit more fire. You know, like there's a, you know, how do you want to feel Friday night? You know, you have 48 hours to really earn that, you know, because you earn, you earn that feeling way before you step on the ice on Friday. You know, every, every start of the week on Monday, I'm like, you know, how do you want to feel on Friday night? You know, what kind of investment, you know, what kind of equity do you want to put into to that game? Because you have four days, four opportunities to do that. And mentally that feels really good. And Dev and I often use, you know, academic examples. It's like, if you have, you know, 50 vocab words to learn on a test on Friday, you know, you come up with a plan. I'm going to learn 10 words every day for those five days. It's an easy way to do it. I know I can do it. It's not going to take a ton of time or a ton of effort. I'm just going to execute that plan. And come Friday, when I come in that test, I know I know those 50 words. And then you just got to show up. And it's just like, you know, did I prepare the best I could? Yeah. All right. Is there anything else more I got to do? No. All right. Well, let's just go out there and have fun. So it's really just about you know, taking, taking things off of them. Let them just be themselves. Feel it. You know, breathe through it. And 
it's been working so far with with all three of us. You know, Evan, Evan, uh, Fear, and TJ Sempton felt there. We've been having a good time, and you know, I think Devin's having a, a really happy and healthy year. So it's been uh, it was a long answer, but <laughs> it's been it's been really good. I was going to ask you how much of this job is technical and how much of it is psychological, but you kind of answered that right there. Like a lot of, large part of it is knowing when to do what. Um, so I guess my follow up question would be. Where does where does video fit in that? Like where does game prep and pre-scout type stuff fit in that? If the if you're preparing for the test after Tuesday, Wednesday and you don't like can you think about the opponent without overthinking it? How do you find that balance? How much work do you guys do on that? Again, without giving too much away about your preparations or the- he, he does a lot of it on, on his own, actually. I, I'll just I'll just tell him because like uh, that that instat app is unbelievable for guys to be able to get video and clips and data of another team but of themselves as well. So I'll say like, you know, night before a game, go and watch your best saves. You know, they have that like big super save breakdown on that website. So I don't have to do any clipping for me as a password to go, Hey, tonight, go watch your big saves. Just watch them, watch them on repeat, watch them on a loop, get that in your brain the night before you fall asleep, feeling good about what you've done in the past. Film will probably watch both games um, on Monday early as possible. Cause we want to flush it good or bad as soon as possible. You know, um, if I could do it on Sunday, I would, but I'm like, Hey, Sunday is your day. You don't do anything. You don't come to the rink. You don't think about hockey unless you have to get treatment. You know, that's your day. You know, you have to get away from the game. You have to miss it. You have to, you know, get a hunger for going back to the rink. And that that's Sunday's your day. So we got every day planned out in terms of that. But um, if there's, you know, a certain tendency that a team has, we'll, t- we'll talk about that, whether, you know, a certain player who has a, like a, a crazy move, you know, I, I found out about the, the Spezza fake slap shot the hard way. <laughs> we I forget where we, where were we? I forget we were in Dallas and uh, he came, he wound up and I'm like, okay, here we go. I came flying out and he stopped it and he's still moving. And I'm like, oh no. And I just shot it, missed it goal. Somebody in the locker room came up to me afterwards, like, yo, you didn't know he did that? And I was like, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know he did that. So if there's something glaring like that, I'll be like, hey, you know, this guy does this, watch out. Or if there's a like a really tall guy who's a net front guy who they always plant for the net, hey, be aware of that. So we'll work on screens a little bit more. And the only other film that we really watch than that is uh just power play tendencies, you know, get get the spots where you need to be, where they like to work in your head before it happens so that when you go into your RVH, when you're following a pass and a pass is going this way, you know exactly who's there, you know exactly who shoddy is. So that's just taking more things out of their head that they have to worry about. So he's very analytical. Um, he does a lot of, a lot of stuff and then a lot of it is telling them like, Hey, that's enough. You know, you're a college student, you know, you have an academic life, you have an athletic life and you have a social life. And if you put all your eggs in one basket, you are not the best version of yourself. You got to have fun. This is a great time to be, you know, at a, an unbelievable school in, in Boston playing, you know, BCBU and the Beanpot Harvard it's it's a great campus and you know you got to enjoy that and got to have perspective because you only have so much time here so it's just about like a lot of times I'm like get off the ice (laughs) you know get off the ice man (laughs) he's like well we could do a couple more I'm like no no you did you did enough you did enough get off because it's really just about you want to feel good physically and mentally on Friday and that doesn't mean that going out on Thursday and killing yourself in practice is going to help you. I did that a lot. I never really took pregame skates off. I never really took the option because I was still kind of stuck in the mentality of like, Hey, you're undrafted, you know, Hey, you know, 
you, you, you can't rest on your laurels. You always got to prove it every day. And that's true to a certain extent, but there is such thing as the law of diminishing returns. And um, I, I, I learned that the hard way. So I'm just trying to tell them like, you know, you got, the college practices are long too. They're like, you know, hour and a half. Sometimes you'll get an ice cut in between. <laughs> Those are never the fun practices when you got to cut the ice in between. But um, hey, this is a long year. It's a lot of practice because you're only playing two games a week. So you're on the ice for like eight hours, Monday through Thursday. So it's like, we got to be smart. You know, we got to, we, we're, we're kind of on a butterfly count, you know? So it's just like, I got to watch that and make sure he's not doing too much because it's pretty easy to get worn down, especially when, you know, the sun's going down at 4 p.m. You know, you're not getting a lot of sun. You're in study halls. You know, there's a lot of things that when you're 18, 19, 20, your body can probably adapt to, but it's about getting good habits now because when you're 25, 26, 27, like those little things have a much bigger effect on your body. You mentioned it. Um, do you use a butterfly count? Because I know it's something that, you know, Brian Decord's somebody that you, you've worked with there at Stop at Goaltending coming up. It's something he's talked about in the past. Like, are we as firm as maybe not a, like a pitch count, like right on this number? But is that, as a guy who had both hips operated on while you were still in college, is that something you're cognizant of? And, and are there ways to still practice without necessarily adding that up and down burden? Absolutely. Yeah. So I already spoke about the RVH. I think, you know, max a practice in goalie skate because you're going to do some in practice. So when we're skating, I don't think more than six to eight on each leg. I don't really do more than that. That's enough to get the feel and get the proprioception of where you want to be, like good landings, whether you're doing boot lock, uh, skate on or toe landing. Um, you just got to feel that. So your body knows where you're going. I think six to eight is kind of max. Cause you're probably going to do like 20 or 30 more in the skate. So that's, you're looking at like 50 RVHs, 60 RVHs in the practice. That's a lot, you know, that's a, that's a tough movement on the ankle knee hip chain. So you got to watch that. Um, you know, in the old days we would skate the zone butterfly drop, you know, butterfly shuffle up, you know, butterfly, butterfly push up the whole zone each way, one way. That's a lot of miles. So we don't really do anything like that. We have a, we, like I said earlier, we have kind of like an athlete goalie warm up that we do for 15, 20. Then we'll get the hands going, do some edge work around the pucks, um, a lot of handles. Cause I think, you know, when you're doing a handle, you're, you're doing a lot of different stuff. Like you're, you're getting out on your outside edge. You may be doing a crossover. You're stopping, you're turning your head, and then you're using your core to really rip the puck around the boards. I think that's a good way to activate and get you comfortable on the ice. Then we'll get into like really simple feel-good shots, alternating glove blocker. Um, and then we'll do one simple um, just like slap shot from the top of the blue, track it, stick or puck on pad, follow it, snap it back to me. We'll do like six or eight of those, and that's just everything you need to do to turn the engine on. The actual like butterflies and butterfly pushes, like you're getting that in practice. So we don't really, I don't really, if we ever, if it's been like a long time, maybe like we're coming out of break right now. So like the first couple of skates, take them out in the neutral zone where there's no posts, where they have plenty of space. And it's like, Hey, we're going 30% here. We're working on good plants when we're pushing, we're working on turning our head first, finding where we're going. And I only want to see 20 or 30% big, long pushes so that you feel comfortable. There's nothing in your way that you have to worry about. And it's just more of just a stretch so that your body doesn't feel tight or, you know, you're going to go flying in the post and hurt yourself. I was going to say, by the time they're at the level you've got them at, they know how to drop into a butterfly. So doing another 30 of them 
before they even stop a puck along the blue line, probably not doing a whole lot of good, is it? No, it's everyone at this at this stage really like you know how to butterfly push, you know how to team push, you know how to, to do all those things. It's a matter of just keeping that maintained and, and not over influencing it. And is the is the reality of the maintenance on if there are flaws in because there are like there's new philosophies you were introduced to some of them later in your career in terms of you know, how you initiate, what part of your body initiates a drop. Those are details you would work on in a, not, at a different time, not so much in a warm-up tight skate where everybody's just going through it fast to get the body loose anyway. Yeah, there's, it's almost like you go to the chop shop in the summer and you take a look at the alignment, you, took a, you take a look at, you know, how you're approaching saves. That's like a June, July, August type thing. At, at this stage in January, like, you know, I'll see something. I'm like, hey, like, we're not going to address that right now. We're aware of it. But um, it's gotten you to here. We're going to keep using it because we're going to make any drastic changes. That's going to screw up your timing or, or anything like that. So um, if you're looking to make changes in the way you approach or you make saves, there's things you do in the summer and then there's things you do in the year. So in the year you maintain, you don't judge, you do reps, you do feel in the summer, you can kind of go back and look at film at the, at the, at right at the end of the season and be like, okay, what do I want to do? What time do I have? Come up with a schedule, execute, execute the plan, and you'll feel a lot better going into the season. You are one of our favorite pro read guests from our audience for your, your breakdowns of saves you made over your career. And the way you, you, know, you shared some of the details, hand position, all the things that you picked up out there to read the game. Is that something, I'm just out of curiosity, because that's obviously what we try and do is share those details with pro reads. Is that something you think can be taught? I mean, maybe even more so at a young age than, than guys like Devin and once you've hit this stage, or are you still teaching those elements too? Or is it a matter of sort of letting them discover it through video before or after and sort of figure it out on their own? Yeah, I mean, I would always talk to Craig Anderson because he would always, like, he was so intuitive about feet, hands, head, and eyes. And I'm like, you're absor- you're you're analyzing all that before a shot. And you know, he had some like I don't want to give away his secrets, but he would do some weird things on breakaways that I wouldn't even think of. You know, <laughs> like the way he would go about like what the guy like how he would read the guys doing, and like he would uh, he would like stand up on so many shots, and like guys in practice would get mad because they're like, oh, he's not going down, he's not trying, and I'm just like, well, maybe he knows where you're shooting. You know, maybe maybe he's played the game that long that he knows, you know, he's seen that so many times. And I, I never really was good at um, reading where guys were going. I was never really a good tracker. And, my, and the way I made up for that is I put my hands out really big because, like, I look at Tuca and I see his hand just, like, right here, just, like, kind of right off his body. But he goes and gets the puck no matter what. And I'm like, how, how, does a guy, how does a guy do that? So we're all kind of different in that sense. I think to your point, it's really just about introducing the concepts. You know, it was like, where, where was his elbow on that shot? Was it glued to his body or was it off his body? You know, if a guy's arm is glued to his body, there's only really one way he can go. And that's across it. If his arms off his body, body, he can pull, he can push, he can drag. You know, you look at guys like Nylander and Matthews um, when they're shooting, their hands are so far off their body that they can drag it and push it back to where they drag it from, or they can pull it and they really disguise where they're going. And they have such flex on their sticks that by the time that stick actually kicks through, the puck is gone like a third of the way and it's, it's, and it's already at you. So little concepts like that and kind of let them figure it out. Cause I don't really have the, the, the key to understanding. It's very much like intellectual and, and intuitive 
it's just about introducing concepts. The one thing I do say is like blades, blades are easy. You know, like when I wanted to kind of hypnotize myself during a game and I was having bad mental chatter, I would just be like, I would always say which shot the guy was when they were passing it. I'd be like, righty, lefty, righty, lefty, lefty, righty. And that was my way of just like getting out of my own head. And I was tracking and I was paying attention because blades really dictate like a, a large part of how you go about where you are in the crease, especially on dead angles and, and things like that. You can save yourself a lot of headaches just by paying attention to blades, especially on power play and what guys like to do, sorry, penalty kill power play, what guys like to do. So Dev is very intuitive when it comes to, like, he'll always tell me like he was going glove, you know, all, all the way. And I'm just like, oh, okay, but it's tough though. When guys miss their shots or like they duff it and they're going one leg up and it goes five. Well, like sometimes I have some, some, some answers from the coaching staff, but I'm just like, Hey, he missed a shot. You know, that's, you know, like they read so well that if when a guy misses a shot and does something that he didn't even mean to do, it kind of screws him up. But that just tells me that a guy is really tracking and really in tune with where the shooter wants to go and absorbing all that material. Cause a lot of times, like you, you don't even really see the puck. You don't really even track. Like, people always say tracking the puck and seeing it, but a lot of the times the save is made before the shot even comes based off what you interpreted. Cause they shoot so fast that you got half a second. You know, there's not many guys who can, especially when you're below the dots or like just in below the circles, like half a second is, is not that much time to really, analyze where they're going fire that motor neuron to where you want to go like i'm pretty sure the reaction is slower than the action so just so you know for the record uh that's my excuse in beer league uh they all suck they're they're all missing their shot like that's 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 the problem these guys suck they're missing their shot and i look worse than i am that's the excuse and i'm sticking to it hey i had one last question for you and it was just going to be what do you love about coaching and is do you know yet whether this is the future for you I think what you love about coaching has already come through in all your answers. Just the way you get to think about the game. What do you think? Is this still something you're just trying to see where the path takes you? Or have you had those thoughts yet? You're just trying to enjoy the moment for now. Um, yeah, I don't really know what I want to do. One, one of the hardest parts of hockey life is the, um, the insecurity of where you're going to be in the future. You know, you got to chase opportunities. You got to move around. You got to do planes, trains, automobiles when you have a family. You got two dogs, you know, it's like, you know, you, you, I lived that life a long time. And, and one of the parts I didn't like about it was like, I never really knew where I was going to be. So when you do that for like 20 years, you know, I always moved around growing up and chasing that dream is fun. You do it while you can, if you have the energy, that's great. But um, one of the hard parts about it is, is the travel and the insecurity. And, you know, you got one year, maybe two years, maybe three or four, if you're lucky. And, you know, right now I kind of want to set some roots up. I, I, <laughs> I had a lot of planes, trains and automobiles, so I kind of want to stay here for a bit. The good thing about that is there's a lot of hockey in Boston, which is, which is nice. And there's a ton of schools and I'm very happy at Northeastern. I'm very happy with coaching. I, I really like, I really like going to the rink, you know, and it's that much better when you don't have an hour and a half warm up to do, where you can just roll up and get a crappy cup of coffee and just sit there and watch all the guys, you know, doing squats and riding the bike. And you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't have to do any of that because I would get to the rink, you know, three hours before, two hours before practice, two and a half hours, just to like turn the machine on just for a practice, you know, never mind a game game was like three hours. It was uh it was a lot. So 
I love going to the rink. Uh, I love being around, you know, like-minded people who, who, who love the game. And, um, you know, I, I feel confident going to the rink and um, sharing what I've learned because I have a unique experience. And I think that really helps me mentally because I, I don't really feel like a fraud in that sense. Cause I'm just like, you know, I, I, I did it. And that's really good for your, for yourself that you don't feel like an imposter where you can actually, you're confident in the information that you're giving someone can actually help them. And I know how difficult this is, this journey is for so many people. It was, it was incredibly difficult for me, but also uh, amazingly rewarding. You know, it made me who I am. It's, I think it's one of the hardest things to do to go out there every single night. Like even when Northeastern scores on the other guy, I'm like, you know, I still feel bad for him. You know, I I went to a Red Sox game the other night, like when the summer and I saw one pitcher get yanked in the first and I I was like sick to my stomach. I was like, I feel you, man. You know, like there's, there's, there's um, an appreciation of what athletes do and and what they endure and and what they experience. And I think uh, I have a, you know, a unique experience and I want to share that my mistakes, how I felt and kind of just let them know that like, you know, everything that you've thought or felt, I was able to feel that and experience that too. And you're not alone and we'll get through this. And the whole point of this game is to enjoy it and to be happy and sometimes whether it's our fault fault or not sometimes we get off that track a little bit and it's just a matter of telling guys like it's okay to get off the tracks for you know a quarter mile half mile but you know we got to find a way to get back on it and enjoy it and and get back to what this actually is and why we started doing it so i really enjoy that and i'm if i've learned anything through my career if you if you work hard you you do your best you be a good person you you can't really fail so everything's still kind of up in limbo you know i haven't gotten a paycheck out of this so (laughs) you know maybe one hopefully one day that will come but um i'm just i'm just happy to to be sharing my experiences and working with guys who want to work too so that's fun well i'm glad to hear it because the game's better with mike condon in it and especially when you're as gracious about sharing those experiences not just with your pupils at northeastern but with the rest of us um i've always appreciated it whether i'm writing for nhl and all those great stories over the years and the insights you would share there or here at inglemag.com and and the ingle radio podcast mike man like can't thank you enough i hope this is the first of many conversations with mike condon the goalie coach and uh i enjoyed it a weekly segment go on or something Love it. I love the idea. Now you got to get going because I'm holding you up for a game, buddy. So thank you so much for this. Good seeing you, Woody. Like who hasn't been there? Whatever moment of your life, career, whatever, where you're sitting there and you have that self-talk and Mike Condon says to uh, Mike Condon, could I stop Connor McDavid right now? My immediate reaction was, like who who can stop Mike uh, Connor McDavid at any time? Uh, and then he laughs about that. But uh, what what a what an honest moment that was. Yeah, and and you know as you could hear, the uncertainty of diagnosis for him too provided a lot of you know a lot of mental challenges. And I thought it was interesting to hear him talk about like there are some comparisons. We're all sort of experiencing a lot of uncertainty right now, right? Schedules and when are we getting back to normal? And that can be a really tough thing to deal with mentally. And I just think. As hard as it was for Mike to get through that, obviously he's come out on the other side of it and it's just one more sort of really important real world experience that he adds to his resume as he transfers over to coaching that he's able to relate to a young goaltender on yet another level.
You know what I mean? Like it's just another experience where he can say, you know what? I've been there, man. I've done that. And and here's yeah. here's how I managed it. What kind of goalie coach do you think he'll be? An excellent one. Um, and obviously, okay, I'm biased. I'm a big Mike Conner fan. I was more fan. thinking I used, technically in, in his approach, but but excellent works. Well, I mean, I think and that's what, and that's, you know, I wondered how much of, you know, and the question was one of my first questions I was going to ask, but he sort of answered it in an earlier answer was, you know, how much of the new job is mental? How much of it is technical? And, you know, his ability to compartmentalize, at least at the NCAA level where games are spread out and you've got a week to sort of divide up how you focus your time like he's still paying attention to the technical but he wants his guys to feel like all that work's done by the time they head to the weekend like he doesn't want them and so again i think what made mike really enjoyable to talk to and i think allowed him to have success that nobody would have forecast for him coming out of princeton right like i mean go back and listen to that first interview like his path to pro was as difficult and unlikely at times as any have been. I mean, this is a guy who was talking about, you know, articling and looking for careers outside of hockey towards the end of his university career. And next thing you know, he's in the National Hockey League. Part of it was that work ethic he talked about, but he also now knows that there are times now as a coach where he can say, like, quite honestly, I, that warrior mentality can be too much, Right. He always looked for for new ways to get better. Like he last time we talked to him, where was he? He was up in Kelowna. He was learning new biomechanics of movement. He was learning new techniques. He talked about working with Anna Francilia and Lyle Mass, sort of, you know, new tracking mechanics that changed how you not just tracking as look at the puck, but how you looked at the f- puck affects how your body moved. Like he was looking for new solutions. And yet I think when you hear him talk about coaching younger goalies he's not trying to jam any of those into how they do things he's introducing philosophies letting them find their way he recognizes the importance of the work and he's he's sort of a i i say this with all with the utmost respect a goalie geek and that he'll always look for new solutions and and what's next but also at the same time recognizes that chasing change probably isn't a good thing that sometimes too much work can become a negative. Like I just think he'll, his ability to walk through all those different challenges and maybe at times discover answers after the fact, after his career ended, makes him so much better suited to now help others navigate their career, even if he didn't always find the answers he was looking for when he needed them. Was Mike not the player who got the PTO or the opportunity to go skate with the Ontario rain. And at first blush, we thought that it was Ontario, Canada. And, and along that rain, was it not that? I think it was. And I want to say you're right now. I'm Googling hockey DB (laughs) to see if that matches, but there were so many tryouts early on for him. And I think he did admit that despite being a Princeton grad that yeah. Um, yeah. He th- and but there was like there was a few people. There was in a there period where, where I used to think that too. Like by the way, full you, admission. You I go, always thought the Ontario rain were in Ontario, Canada. You want to go skate for Ontario? Sure. It's just over there. And uh, no, it's and, California. And, yeah. Yeah. It's California. Uh, and I remember. And don't forget, like Mike, like Mike's Mike's college career may have ended in terms of playing, but he was remember he was still studying. Like right. Mike was. Yeah. Mike was preparing for finals on bus rides with these minor league teams sort of chasing the dream and a dream that he wasn't sure would get to continue. And, and like we said, it's not, I think I said next day, you know, he's playing for the, for the Montreal Canadiens. Like there's a lot of work that went into it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't lucky by any means. 
but the work he did and the effort he put in and the willingness to sort of sacrifice got him the opportunities. And when he had the opportunity, he made the most of it. You would not uh, do yourself uh, any disservice if you went back and made this uh, Mike Condon double episode and listened to the first go around of him joining uh, us on In Goal Radio, the podcast, because uh, that that conversation and, and the balancing of everything that he did and uh, his journey to get to the National Hockey League was exemplary. And now it's sort of the, the post and I managed to Google fast enough to give you the answer, Darren. You're right. So I'm pretty sure it was Mike that told us that story. Tw- yeah. 2012, 2013, Ontario Reigns. It would have been 2013, end of their season. He played four games, posted a 943. But don't forget, the Ontario Reign at the time were not an American Hockey League franchise. Oh. They were an East Coast. They, he, that was his ECHL opportunity. And then from there... In the same season, he ended up getting an opportunity to go play five games with the Houston Arrows in the American League, posted a 919. That led to the invite to Hamilton the following season. I can't remember the goalie coach that saw him, that's part of the Canadians organization, that saw him in the playoffs with Houston and gave him the chance with Hamilton. And within a year, he's playing for the Montreal Canadiens, a year and a half. Crazy. It's awesome. And, and, and again... Uh, listen to both uh, conversations because they're outstanding. We'll put it in the show notes. It's right there. Look down at it. And you can uh, you can catch up with Mike Conner. He's just so honest and so uh, forthcoming with uh, every aspect uh, of life and goaltending. That it's brilliant. And uh, you, uh, you you could do a lot worse than listening to a lot of Mike Condon. What's going on over at uh, Ingle? Oh, we got some fresh. Uh, speaking of the Ontario Rain, put up a fresh drill with Matt Vallalta. Um, so that's up online right now. A little one-timer action. And I know there are probably some goalie coaches that are going to see Matt having a little fun ripping one tease off the bar and think, what's the point? Um, it's not the right type. We've, we've heard this before from some, like when guys are practicing shooting at the empty net, this isn't what she should be working on, but there's a very good reason that he works on these. A, it is fun. And as Marc-Andre Fleury will be the first to tell us, Fun matters. If it matters to a guy who's got a Hall of Fame career, 502 NHL wins later, it can matter. It matters to Matt, matters to Garrett Sparks, matters to Matt Millar, the goalie coach in the Ontario Reign. But while they're having fun, there's a very specific skill that they're working on in terms of one-touching pucks and being able to help their team transition, and they get it out of these one-timer drills. So that's up online right now. Uh, Fresh pro reads. Curtis McElhenney was the latest one, but I did have... uh, uh, long zoom session with frederick anderson this week so he's back in pro read starting maybe by the time people listen to this uh, shortly after it goes up we'll have this fresh pro reads we'll have frederick anderson with the carolina hurricanes uh, hoping to add a few more names i might tempt fate and see if henrik will do a couple when we get them on the podcast so wow. lots 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 going on at ingolmag.com for our ingol premium membership uh, and lots more coming up over the next couple of weeks we've got a whole bunch of drills that we're ready to roll out uh, moving forward here Reminder, uh, the plan is to connect with uh, the King over the next uh, couple of uh, weeks and bring you uh, a a special conversation with Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, Thanks to Mike Condon for joining us and uh, go and enjoy uh, the Hockey Shop source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. Big sale on all the V1 sticks uh, with Warrior. And uh, then you can get into Sense Arena, Sense Arena VR. The contest uh, continues there. Uh, Really appreciate their support and uh, continued uh, listenership from you as you uh, explore this journey of goaltending on In Goal Radio, the podcast. 